my thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the Grange Point 4. This is Control, be radial. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen Civs, Captains, and Commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 117 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, April 22nd, and made available for download Tuesday, April 26th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. Well, what do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we discuss all the jets. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favourite space sims has landed as we cover our usual trifecta of games, including the reveal of the MISC Prospector in Star Citizen, details of ice mining, missiles and torpedoes, and traffic control voices coming to Elite Dangerous, and a little bit of news from the Descent Underground camp. Next, we debate MVP, no, not the most valuable person, the minimum viable product, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying, welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. You know, we haven't talked fighter jets for a while, so I went hunting for some news, and the interwebs delivered. Well, speaking of delivered, Jimmy John's sub sandwiches. Mmm, so good. I once clocked six minutes between when I hung up the phone and when the delivery guy made it to my office in Salt Lake City. Uh, The shop was only about a mile up the road. Super fast. Pizza and Chinese food, you know, typically 15, 45 minutes, depending on what uh, sports ball game is on the electric TV machine. Uh, Norwegian life-saving heart-lung support equipment. Ah, You know, I've never ordered it personally. But I understand the Trondheim to Budo delivery time is about three to six hours, unless the Royal Norwegian Air Force is on call that day. A patient in Budo requiring an ECMO, or an extracorporeal membrane oxygenation device, but the local hospital didn't have the rare machine on hand. Luckily, the doctors called the Air Force base outside Trondheim 15 minutes before wheels up on a pair of F-16s. Luckily, the ECMO just happened to be small enough to fit in the underwing cargo pod. The Viper luckily happened to be carrying that day. And luckily, the F-16 didn't need to break the sound barrier to get to Buda in less than 30 minutes. I hope that pilot got a decent tip. Next up, Japan became just the fourth, or fifth, depending on how you count, country to launch a stealth fighter. The X-2 prototype took to the skies over Japan for the first time this week. Painted like it was trying out for a spot with the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds team, it wasn't fooling anyone during its maiden voyage. But I suppose it was trying to get noticed this time. Japanese Ministry of Defense Technical Research and Development Institute dubs this prototype the Shinshin, or Spirit of the Heart, and it will eventually succeed the Mitsubishi F-2 in the primary air defense role for the Japanese Self-Defense Force. And finally, the little Scorpion ISR. It took off for the FIDE International Air and Space Fair in Santiago, Chile last month, hoping to score a little affection from the not-rich-enough-to-buy-a-fleet-of-F-16s crowd. No reports of success yet, but buyers are likely holding off until the first conforming production model rolls off the factory floor this summer. That model will incorporate all the lessons learned from the 600 flight hours on the prototype, and it will earn its airworthiness certificate from the U.S. Air Force. 
That's an unusual step for a jet that the government did not ever ask to be built. Hopefully, once the little jet is deemed fit to fly, it'll be considered ready to buy. That's kind of cool. I've never heard uh, the Air Force doing something like that. No, no. It's usually the FAA. If it's, if it's a civilian aircraft that's built by a company and the Air Force didn't ask for it, it's usually the FAA that gives that certificate. But the Air Force is going to certify this thing. So is that a step to it becoming more uh, recognized in the military as being a fighter? Does it legitimize yeah. its claim more? I think so. It's more of a multi-role jet. I wouldn't call it yeah. exactly well, a fighter. Well, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, up until the Scorpion asked for this procedure, it did not exist. Right. Like, it, was, it wasn't a thing. Okay. So this will be the first airplane to actually do it this way. I think once it gets there, I think there'll probably be a lot more countries willing to sort of step up and, and do something to get it. All the numbers look great on it. The airplane's been to 10 countries, and it's been across oceans. The big question I have, is the Air Force going to order any? That's a fantastic question. It really ought to. I think it depends largely on can they deliver an ECMO machine in under 15 minutes. It could. It's got the modular bay. You see, the thing about the the Norwegian thing is that the F-16 does not carry cargo pods. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just doesn't happen. It just so happened that this one F-16 happened to have a cargo pod slung under its wing on that day. That got totally lucky. Now, the Scorpion comes with an internal bay that can be, you know, modularly rearranged. So, yeah, I could totally deliver ECMO machines up and down the coast anytime. And uh, I threw a little, like, sort of hint in the thing about the Japanese plane because depending on how you count, they may be the fifth one because Iran, of course, debuted the F-313 in 2013. Now, upon closer inspection, it appears that the entire thing was made of plastic and the cockpit was ripped out of, like, a Cessna, and they just, like, (laughs) bolted it in. So the jury is sort of out on whether that thing is actually real. And, you know, some of the other evidence for it is a a photoshopped uh, picture of it flying over a snow-covered mountain and stuff. And it's just, no, no, that that probably didn't happen. I'm kind of disappointed, though, because when you said the fourth or fifth, I was just hoping that one was so stealthy we weren't even sure it existed. But I guess that that could be the Iran thing. That is the Iran (laughs) one. It is so under the radar, no one's ever seen it fly. So maybe this, I guess we have to call it the fifth. The Iran plane must be so far ahead of us that we have never detected it flying. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get taken home with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for April 22nd, 2016, 112,273,000, up about 500,000, 1.36,000,000 registered accounts, up about 7,000 accounts, and 957,000 ships in the UEE fleet, up about 4,000. The big news over at RSI is the debut of the Prospector Solo mining ship. It's only 24 yards long and massing just under 55 tons. It was dwarfed by the Orion multi-crew ship, but that's sort of the point. This ship is designed to let the Lone Ranger miners get out of the verse and gather rocks without having to befriend or hire anyone else. And that's really the only thing this ship is built for, because voluntarily taking it into combat will probably label a suicide attempt by the insurance companies. The current specs put it at six times the mass of the Aurora, but only double the main thrust. And the same size of maneuvering jets, so you're not going anywhere fast and with only a single size 1 fixed weapon mount, it's currently the most lightly armed ship in the entire game. Moving past the inverse fluff part of the announcement, they reveal the mechanics behind the ship. 
the mining mechanics still follow the process outlined in the design post from several months ago, but the prospector will be more targeted. The prospector scanner finds pockets of valuable minerals and the pilot digs these out, while the Orion scans an asteroid and determines if it has a valuable ore in it, then carves the whole thing up into chunks and takes the valuable bits home. It's essentially a difference between mining with a pickaxe and mining with dynamite. Because of that approach, the prospector will also land in order to accomplish its mining, so it'll be limited to larger asteroids and planets. On a visionary scale, CIG explains that the prospector is part of what they're labeling beginning career ships. The idea is that absolute starter ships are general purpose, and things like the Orion and Endeavour are for dedicated org-level operations. The Prospector and ships like the Hull A or B are for players who want to get their feet wet in a profession but either don't have the money, the connections or experience to dive in with one of the multi-crew behemoths. Theoretically, that means we can expect solo salvage and exploration ships somewhere down the line as well. Of course, at the bottom of the post, along with a disclaimer that seems to be getting more and more verbose with each sale, is the opportunity to grab a Prospector for yourself, it'll set you back a mere $140. However, before those of you who are broke start crying into your keyboards, CIG has a little treat. There's a link off the post to a hiring brochure and online application to become a prospect miner for the Shubin Mining Company, a competitor to the Dharma Mining Corporation. I, I don't recommend it. Uh, filing the application gets you a nice certificate, but that's not the important part. There's a 1,000 character freeform text field for you to describe why you want to work for the Shubin Mining Company. According to this week's Reverse the Verse, CIG will be reviewing these freeform submissions, and their five favorite entries will be gifted an RSI Orion. If you've already zipped through the application thinking it was meaningless as a flavor piece, don't panic. The application can be redone infinitely, and the decision will be based on the most recent entry made through your account. Hang on. I'm, I'm supplying to be a prospector. <laughs> It's a competition, man. You want to work for Dharma. We've got awesome safety videos. Uh, I'm just guys. kidding. I, I, they seem kind of flighty. <laughs> you want to go with a reputable corporate uh, uh, citizen who respects its workers. Yeah. But I, I think that's kind of cool. It's a good way to get the community involved. A little bit of lore uh, adds a little bit more flavor to the verse. And, you know, people win ships. I, I fail to see what yeah. what there is to dislike about that. That's really cool. Well, first of all, considering the size of the community, picking five entries for this is just kind of, uh, yeah, good luck winning the Powerball. You probably have a better chance. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I mean, first of all, first of all, there's a number of people that are that want an Orion, right? I mean, that's not every... I don't, I don't, really I don't want one, so one I mean, either. That narrows the field, right? And then there's the people that have paid enough attention to actually go through the post and find the link and click on it, right? Okay. Then there's the people that actually want to write up, you know, some sort of in-universe essay. I think that the field is narrow. Jeff, I really encourage you to just give it a word. No, no, no. no. And then give it to Shiv because Shiv's always, you know, asking for free shit. Right, right, of course. <laughs> right. But but I, the other question I got to ask is that, Tony, you do you have an Aurora or is it Lennon has an Aurora? I have a, I have an account with an Aurora on it. Well, how much did that, that Aurora cost you? I believe I picked up that package for 40 or $45. Yeah, yeah. yeah. about the same. Ago, yeah, yeah and, and I think even with my upgrade of, of going to the LN, the top, top end Aurora, I think it was only like another... 20 bucks or so do you feel like these starter ships are like way outpriced i mean 140 dollars for a starter ship i mean does that seem a little yeah. bit out there is it just me yeah. am i just feeling the the 
the unemployed no. angst there, or am I am I speaking the common man uh, here? I, yeah, you know, I mean, I understand that they're trying to differentiate between the actual starter ships like the Aurora, like perhaps the base 300 model Mustang. Um, the Mustang, indeed, the Mustang, which I, I guess I'll mention it, even though I'm, I, I despise that ship. Uh, but you know, it, those are all like the quote starter ships, right? They're the ones that you, you know, the, the ones that you just get when you when you walk into the verse. This is a starter career ship. Requires a little investment. Requires a little bit of commitment to that role. It's double or close to triple the price of a starter ship, though. And it, you know, I I can't imagine that the demand is going to be overwhelming for this thing. Well, the other side of it is, how much was the hull A and the hull B? Because I seem to remember that the hull B was about that sort of price, because I, I wanted a hull C, but I couldn't justify, like, the $7 million or whatever it was for the C. So I think if they are classing the A and B as being starter career ships, then it's kind of in line with that, but uh, I was going to say, I, I'm surprised to see, like, that there isn't a cheaper version of it, but then I guess with the hull A, or the whole series, rather, it's based on tonnage and length, isn't it? Whereas with a mining ship, you don't really have that. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, that's that. Uh, you know, they're trying to be consistent, I suppose, with the lore. Yeah, that's fine. But I just—it seems to me that we're looking at this from a from the perspective of in-game, more importantly than the perspective of this is a thing we're selling to people. And yes, it's 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 for pledging support to continue development, and and yes, they're continuing their crowdfunding method of raising funds with this but it just seems to me that we ought to be getting away from that now they said that the game is up and running right the, the mini pu is the, is pre-alpha still i guess but it's it's their thing the game is sort of live we ought to be looking at changing the fundraising model from pledge for development to a transition into let's start to create an environment where we are running this the game like we're running a game right and and that's something i've always wanted to ask do you think that are we going to see these number if they get out of the crowdfunding mode so to speak and go to the in-game purchase mode are we going to see these prices dip or are we going to see the continuation of the same kind of pricing model i mean it's tricky because the, the the premise of these things is that this will be the cheapest it'll ever be, right? Or, you know, it's not going to get any cheaper till the game launches. Right. So if you want to get this before the game launches, get it now. No promises once the game launches, because then you can buy with in-universe money, you can play to earn it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, they're not going to make any guarantees. Once, but then, then they have to define when is launch. And so when it's okay to start charging, quote, less for the same ships. They're not bound by that promise from ships they have yet to release. So they could start to make that transition now with the ships they haven't released yet. But I don't see them doing that. Well, I'm just kind of feared like like um, I, I uh, updated my STO recently and I lo- logged in to see what the new T6 ships were like. And it's like, oh my God, 50 bucks doesn't buy you much anymore, does it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, my prediction on the whole thing is that I don't think they're ever gonna stop selling ships for cash money. I know that they've talked about everything being purchasable in universe which I think that they you know I think that they will but I don't think that we'll ever see a point where it's like you can only buy the ship with UEC but you can buy a hundred dollars worth of UEC I don't even think we'll ever see that. I think there will be the ships is for sale the UEC is for sale 
and you can also grind it in-game if you want. I think it's become too much of a money earner, and they won't be willing to let that go. Oh, yeah. I, I don't expect the in-game purchases to go away. I, I think that you're right, Lennon. I think there will be a straight-up cost, you know, cash money, and then it'll probably, if you convert the, the dollars to UEC... I don't know if it'll be a fluctuating market, say like uh, Dilithium is in STO or no. or uh, anything else. It may cost you a little more to grind it or to buy the UEC and then and then purchase it with UEC. But but I don't think it'll be yeah it'll be interesting because uh, and especially with the way that they've advertised that the in-game economy is going to run, it'll be interesting to see if your in-game ship prices will fluctuate based on the economics of whether there's a blockade or if there's particular you know inputs that are rare or disrupted or something and if the cash people can just buy it whenever they want you know, that will be interesting I, and i haven't really heard a whole lot of plans for crafting yet either are are, are can we set up factories to or manufacturing no. places to to actually build these things or no. or no. are they just going to be all cig controlled I mean, that's going to be, I, or what about the components that go in them, like power plants and, and they're going to have to. No, I mean that, that's 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 going to be a real tough nut for them to crack. Yeah. But of course, on the other hand, it could be that's how they decide to can you know sort of you know keep the the steering wheel in their hand and their their foot on the brake of the gas. I mean, they can make those things easier to obtain and easier to put together if they want to make goods more available. You know basically cause inflation with the in-game credits or if they think if inflation is getting out of control with the credits they can sort of you know step it back make those in-game credits more valuable by making you know stuff more scarce so it, it, it all depends it all depends on how they want to do it and the road to beta continues in elite dangerous with a double dose of updates first off on the horizon live stream showed off many of the updates announced thus far such as galaxy map bookmarks yay many of the new weapons and the revamped outfitting system if you missed it, the videos shown during the live stream have been made into a YouTube playlist and the link will be in the show notes. Additional updates revealed in the Q&A segment as well, such as graphics improvements for planetary surfaces, including additional optimizations for low-end systems, and being able to collapse sections of the control bindings list to avoid scrolling through the whole thing every time. The videos are worth checking out, but the real feast this week came in newsletter number 121 featuring Countdown to Beta Part 2. As an appetizer, we get a recap of the mission system improvements coming in 2.1, as well as two screenshots of the new mission board, including contacts with names, faces, and attitude. Yes, just the sort of attitude they take will depend on your reputation with the faction as well as other factors like your pilot federation ranking, for example. Our main course consists of three major new changes revealed for the engineer's update. Both missiles and torpedoes will be getting core improvements, with better effectiveness for guided missiles over longer range, increased damage, and the ability to do splash damage to multiple external subsystems. Torpedoes are being similarly enhanced, but in ways that make them a better alternative to missiles against larger ships and point defense weapons. Miners may be enticed to ice rings soon, as both new commodities as well as materials for crafting with the engineers are discovered there. Existing mining areas will also hold new materials for crafting. Finally, starports and planetary ports will now have flight comms chatter, which will change dynamically based on who and what ships are in the area, identifying them by manufacturer and the first three letters of the commander's call sign. For example, Gutemeyer K-I-N for Tony docking his fancy pants Imperial Cutter. 
Apparently, they will even notice if you disappear from the senses, though what this may mean for smugglers and other folks trying to get under the radar is yet unknown. And no feast after information famine could be complete without dessert. Two more weapon modification examples from the Engineer Archives. Incendiary rounds, which convert part of the kinetic damage of a multi-cannon into thermal damage. And the Feedback Cascade, a railgun enhancement that can knock out a vessel's shield if you manage to hit just as they're charging a shield cell. This latter mod is already raising even more questions than the healing beam did last week. All this, and we still have Countdown Part 3 yet to come next week. Mm, stick a fork in me. I am done. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. No, they're all good things. You know, I, I haven't played Elite in a while, but, uh, you know, that's because I'm kind of, you know, it's kind of the drought season. But, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. No, I, I jumped in the other night uh, just to blow up a couple ships, and yeah, it's still fun. I still like it. Still have your Imperial Cutter. Yeah, my big fat Imperial Cutter, yeah. That thing's a, it literally is a beast. The thing does, it takes about an hour and a half to turn, but it, it's it's big and it's beautiful. Uh, but I, the thing that, this is stupid, but I'm really looking forward to docking control calling me Gutamaya K-I-N. I mean, it's it's just a stupid little thing, but it, it is, that, that, that is, that's such a, an immersion factor, right? Yep. Like that makes you feel like you're there, and that, that it's a dumb little thing, but I love it. No, but I'm totally with you on this because I, I am too. I mean, one of the things that has always like sort of whenever you play sort of any RPG or MMO, you come up with a character name, and then when you're like interacting with an NPC, your name is usually in the dialogue, but the voiceover is done yep. in a way to miss out that name. And for me, that's always quite jarring because you can see that like they say ah oh, thanks for coming to my aid kinetic impulsor whereas the voiceover yeah. just goes thank you for coming to my aid and it's like no you should say my name it's right there this is just mm. for a long time star trek online was a terrible offender at this because you were thanks rear admiral lower half yes and, you know i mean like <laughs> come on eventually they just shortened it to thanks admiral i mean that, that but it's just yeah well technically it, it, it should be captain because technically uh commander of the vessel oh let's not get started on the rank yeah, yeah. oh yeah. my god yeah yeah, we'll, skip I, 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 we'll skip that for now. We'll skip that one. We'll send a memo over to the priority one people to rehash that one. But the weapons things are cool too. That uh, that railgun thing that's going to be tricky. I mean, how do you know when to shoot it? You know, if you, you have to hit right when they're charging a shield cell, how do you know when's that going to go off? Yeah, that that kind of makes no sense to me as a weapon. But I'm or, sure they got a system. So, or is this something that actually you're going to be able to get some sort of detector as part of the crafting update? Oh yeah, maybe if you install the modification, it'll be some sort of warning, like you know, shield cell charging and then boom. Yeah, maybe it'll be up on your HUD to say shoot now. <laughs> yeah, it's either it's just one of those spray and pray guns where you just continually fire it in the hope of interrupting right the exact moment. Railguns are tricky enough to fire as it is because it's it's a warm up. You pull the trigger and you got to give it like a two count. Oh yeah, and then it shoots. So yeah, they're tricky enough as it is already. But then to time that with the other guy deploying a shield cell and they're fixed too because they don't they don't yeah. track. I mean, no you double. have to be right you yep. you have to be right on target. Their their line of sight. That'll be a, that'll be a skill weapon for sure. Somebody that can use that uh, use that well is a elite pilot. Oh, I'm sure some hacker will find aimbot and you know everybody will cry. You know, <laughs> as always. Yeah, 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 as always. That's right. Mobius PVE for the win. Yeah. <laughs> well, not necessarily, given the smiling dog crew's activities lately, but I'm sure we'll come to that later. Yes. Yeah, and uh, the the mining on the ice planets. That's that's cool it's just a little bit more additional stuff to do they're fleshing it out slowly it's like they've taken a spoon now to the bottom of the lake and are just scraping the sediment off ever so gently yep. just to make it a little bit deeper 
in certain places. So well, it, pro- it provides an incentive, right? I mean, mining is okay. It's it's. Yeah, uh, it is not. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done it. I mean, I I, I kitted out a Python pretty well and and mined two or three sessions. It's it's fun if you want to listen to podcasts or watch Netflix or you know do something else while playing, but it's not for me. But if it's the if it's the only way to get certain rare items, or if it's a mission that an engineer requires you to do in order to give it access to his say his spiffy weapons. You know, I, I, I can see that. It, it's a way to get people to do more things, you know, play more of the mini games in the system and get you a wider variety of, of the gameplay. Go over to part of that mile-wide lake that you haven't been to before. may only be still a foot deep, but, you know, it's a new part of the lake. Overall, some solid improvements, and I'm, uh, again, 2.1 Engineers and the Horizons update in general has pretty much been one of my favorite expansions to any sort of space games so far. So now for some news from Descent Underground. There's a lot of focus right now on parts of the game that don't involve turning your fellow humans into flaming balls of debris. The single player prologue story is getting attention and more work is being done on the co-op gameplay. A major side effect being further improvements to the AI. It is now beating the devs so thoroughly they've asked Wingman to review the incorporation papers and look for references to Cyberdyne. Concept art for what some of that AI programming will control also landed this week. Check it out for images of upcoming wall crawler tanks, which can also fold up and fly away whenever the wall they're on is no longer optimal ambush site. Co-op stuff should be showing up in the Proving Ground soon, TM. That's with air quotes, of course. Back in the land of Murder Your Neighbor, the Skylab map is getting a beauty pass. Also, they're putting up signs because people keep getting lost and absolutely no one will just man up and get out and ask for directions. Also, everyone in the Motherland, Mother England, Fatherland and every other country that has a familial term will be glad to hear that the new EU server is up and is in testing, but not publicly available just yet. Finally, gameplay tweaks. They've already tweaked the Panzer Blast shield so it only reduces energy based damage and they're working on sound effects enhancements so it's easier to tell when you've actually been shot. More improvements to the tutorial, Goliath Bricks, Fusion Balance and Bot Building. Alright, well the game, that game is uh, looking like it's getting wider and deeper. Yeah. With all the different types of gameplay they're going. I like there's uh, the detachable bots. I mean that's even more, you know, more, you know, more fun. Like it's uh, pets. Portable pets. If they can get a pet system in with all the other stuff they're doing, that'll be ridiculous. Yeah, and it'll add so much more strategy to what you're able to do overall, because right now it is basically just, you know, uh, mano a mano, shooty a shooty a spaceship a spaceship You've got the, uh, as Wingman termed it, the brick that's going to be coming down the pipeline. But yeah, so far it's very much still quite one-dimensional gameplay. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because, you know, games like Counter-Strike have lived for gosh knows how long. Yeah, But just anything that will add additional playstyles and additional strategy and make it into a real team-focused game where you need person A to do, you know, job A, person B to do job B. It'll just help enhance everything overall. Yeah, you know, Elite Dangerous being a variety of different mini-games, this is a, a game of paper, rock, scissors writ large, right? Yeah. You got the the brick layer, but then you got the little robot that can crawl around the bricks. You got the, the shaman that goes and heals everybody, but then you've got somebody that come up and snipe the shaman, you know, because it can take it out, take out ships with one shot. I mean, that kind of paper, rock, scissors gameplay balanced among multiple fighter types, multiple gameplay types. I think that's what they're going for here. And it sounds like they're doing really well. Also glad to hear that they're doing the first person campaign because you've got to teach people how to play this PvP thing. And I think that they should craft that campaign to teach people to play the PvP. 
Well, I'm excited for it. I, I think it's very cool. As long as we can keep Wingman from making Skynet, uh, I think that'll be good. <laughs> well, I'm always curious about coding for AI because what, what happens when the code gets out of control? Apparently that's happening just now. Yeah, Skynet. Oh, no. <laughs> if suddenly Austin goes dark, we'll know who to blame. Right. But now it's time for news we didn't use. For those who follow Star Citizen Lore, the RSI site has a political poll-up where users can share their opinions about the inverse Jalen Centurial race. Infinity Battlescape devs have run into issues with custom controller mappings thanks to Microsoft dropping support for X-Input. Star Citizen subscribers can download the latest jump point now. More and more trailers are being released for No Man's Sky. Be sure to check out the links in our show notes. Just to kind of jump in and, and ruin everything, though, uh, Microsoft have got another API. Uh, it's literally X input is just an older technology based on DirectX 8, I think it is, and they want to bring it in line with 12. So, so they do have the replacement API. Yes, but they're they're dropping helpful support. So if you have a problem trying to implement the API, you can no longer phone uh, X input. Sorry, they're not dropping support from it from a consumer point of view. But if you're trying to program for it, they won't assist you in getting something working. Which, which is good business sense in my mind. I mean, they, they literally want to bring everything into the new uh, API. So, which yeah. I, I, you know, I would probably insist on as well. So, CIG announced that Chris Roberts will be off to sunny, sunny Manchester to work on Squadron 42. So, this week's 10 for the chairman will be the last until his return to LA. But before he left, he answered a question from a fan named Epix who asked, have you had any thoughts on the direction CIG will go after Star Citizen is finished? Do you think that you could put all that you as a company have learned and developed into creating additional content? And in response, Chris gave a 5 minute and 38 second speech regarding the size and complexity of Star Citizen itself, which included the line, we will have what we determine is a minimum viable product feature list for what you would call Star Citizen the commercial release. So, Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to define minimum viable product for Star Citizen. Is character persistence good enough, or do we need all of the stretch goals? I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case, and then a further 30 seconds to reply. Somehow, and I will investigate this later, Tony rolled a natural 20 on a coin flip, so he'll be going first and second. So, Tony, please tell us what we should expect from a minimum viable Star Citizen. Tony, I think what you have to realize is that the minimum viable product is a concept which is only in the mind of the consumer. What the consumer will accept as a workable product is the only standard. Chris Roberts has an idea of what he wants. The only thing that's going to matter is how that product is received. Now, he has a problem with letting the baby go, we know that, but they've got to dial in what the customer will accept. Tony, you ignorant slut. I think that we all remember the stretch goals that went on and on and on and stopped finally at $65 million. Now that we've raised nearly twice that, I think it's incumbent upon CIG to take a strong look at those promised, cherished goals and deliver some significant percentage of them before they call something a commercial release of Star Citizen. Look, Tony, I think that we all understand that some portion of those goals were meant to be aspirational. 
Some of those things never had a timeline attached to them. Some of those things are stuff that everyone knows and accepts will be part of the extended universe once the Star Citizen base game gets up and running. No one expects there to be a fully fleshed out, intricate economy the first day. Tony, you ignorant, ignorant slut. I can't believe that you're going to give CIG a pass on the best damn space sim ever. They have explicitly promised a persistent universe. By definition, that has to include their extremely intricate NPC-driven economy that will balance off a 90% automatic system with a 10% player participation. They have made these promises again and again, and they must deliver on them before they can call this a commercial product. Okay. Uh, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Tony, I think. Um, interesting points that, I, that was you weird. <laughs> yeah, that was... That was was that freaky? Yeah, that was Freaky Friday, man. That was like, that was way out there. <laughs> I should have done half of it in English accent. I should have picked one and done it in English accent. But anyway, yeah, uh, I, I saw this in the tent for the chairman, and this one made me a little mad. I was a little angry at this one. I, I, I'm uh, a little angry, too. I, I, and I have yeah. to agree with with the alternative Tony, or is it Tony from Earth 2? Well, there's there's Tony the ignorant slut, and he went first. Right. And then there's angry Tony, and he went second. Okay, so. I, I agree with angry Tony, because okay. I, ang, angry Tony makes some valid points. I mean, if everybody were to go back over to the stretch goals and look at what the stretch goals promised, which I have, and very little has been delivered on. Would you like to know the exact number? Yes, I would like to know the exact number. I think we should guess. Okay, okay. I will tell you. I performed an, 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 a rigorous analysis, and I'm not kidding. I performed a rigorous analysis of the stretch goals that are on the website right now. You guys can follow along at home if you want to. But I broke out by bullet point, and sometimes sub-bullet points, because some of the bullet points contain multiple promises in there. But I broke it all down, and there are 114 items promised on those stretch goal lists. Seven of those items were superseded, like it started off being a 30 mission, Squadron 42 wound up being 50 with enhancements. So that all kind of merged together. It started off by being a 40 star system, star citizen universe at launch, well, it wound up being 100 with various planets promised and certain star systems types promised. So you squish them all together, seven of those sort of fall out. So there's a 107 outstanding promises made by CIG for star citizen. Now, out of those 107, Jeff, Lennon, how many of those 107 promises has CIG delivered to date? I'm going to I'm gonna confer with my co-host here. Um, I, I, I think it's around 24. What do you think? Well, I was going to say 42, but if we reverse the verse, that would be 24. So that's Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Tony, both Lennon and I decided it was somewhere around 24. You guys are good. Yes. <laughs> you guys are super good. <laughs> All right. And this is... And in no way were there, was there any cheating involved, much like me rolling a natural 20 on the coin. <laughs> no way was there any collusion or prior analysis or discussion before this very segment. I was right going to say, I think but there's yes. one thing that we can be assured of, though, is that we definitely do not have a news doc in front of us, because if we did, the show would be a lot more professional. That's right. <laughs> so, so here we are. 24 of the 107 promises have been delivered to date. They've received t almost twice 
the amount of money. Almost twice? I'd say they've gone a little bit over twice. No, no, no. $65 million. They cut it off at 65. They stopped doing stretch goals right, and making right. those promises right. at 65 okay. million bucks. We're not quite to 130 yet. All right. But we're okay. pretty darn close. So a quarter of the promises have been delivered on twice the money. That's a bad ratio. Good for them. Well, it's good. Yeah, it's good for them, but it's bad for the, it's bad for us, the consumers. <laughs> wow. Some of that sixty-five billion dollars is mine, and I'm saying sixty-five because I mean I haven't bought a lot of stuff since since back then. Well, I've got about twelve hundred dollars invested in this game, so I, I whatever fraction that is, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's Jeff money right there. Yeah, that's my so, money I mean, right there. Based on those individual promises and stuff, I mean they continue to. I love this game, but I hate the way they're, you know, some of the things that they're doing to it. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's not a good ratio here. I mean, it's not a good ratio. It's not a good place to be on the timeline. And when you're talking about delivering the minimum viable product, okay. And like I said, you know, during the ignorance slut argument, some of these things don't have a timeline attached to them. They're aspirational. You know, in the spirit of Chris Roberts' answer was, what are you guys going to do after you get done with Star Citizen? We're never going to be done with Star Citizen. We're always going to be making new stuff for Star Citizen. That's great. I think what the fan was asking was, what else can you do? Well, hell, let's make a tabletop RPG with this stuff. We've got a great IP. Let's let's expand it to other things. Let's make a real-time strategy game based on the Messer era, you know, of the whole, you know, building an empire thing from a few hundred years ago before the, the timeline of this game. Let's do a, some sort of colonization strategy game where you have to, you know, make a moon habitable. or something. I mean, do these... T- I think that's the answer the person was looking for. But instead, you give an answer that, everybody, curb your expectations. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. We're going to make the product minimally viable when we call it a launch date. Let's not get ahead of ourselves with expectations. Well, I, I, I really think that minimum viable product should include all the stretch goals. I'm sorry, but that I, I, to I, me, that doesn't make it... Uh, that makes it... And anything less. I mean, it's not minimally viable if you, if you don't put forth what you promised. There are four things out of that list that, according to their own words, they've got to provide. Number one, a class one repair bot in their garage. That's a launch promise. So there's got to be a repair mechanic ready to go for that bot to be usable, right? So that's that's a launch thing they've got to have in their system by their own words. Number two, extended hardcore flight sim controller support. Flight chairs, multiple monitors, track IR, and multifunction displays. Second screen capabilities. They promise that on launch. That's in there. Three, exclusive record breaker ship skins. Yay! And a thousand credits on launch. I mean, that's not too tough, but that means you got to have persistence. I got to paint my ship and it's got to stay painted. So they got to have persistence at launch. Finally, a hundred star systems. They promised Star Citizen will launch with a hundred star systems. It means a hundred star systems. <laughs> yeah, I, it does. I, I guess technically they didn't say there was going to be a landing zone at every star system, but there's got to be a hundred or more jump points. There's got to be a hundred stellar environments. I mean, yeah. that's what they promised. Are we not just getting into the territory, though, a bit like Gmail, how it will stay in beta for 20 years before it launches? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, and, that's, and, that, and that's, that's their choice. I mean, they, they either got to come through with the promises and make a minimum viable product for launch, or they keep it in beta. And, and we're not even in beta yet. We're still in alpha. You know, and they could. They could keep it in beta for the next five years, or 10 years, or 20 years. I think my biggest problem here, and this is a huge problem, and I, I can't, and this is what really, really made me mad, is that I sincerely doubt that they have a document somewhere in a hard drive that defines minimum viable product. There's no plan at this point. 
Uh, I wouldn't be too sure about that. I reckon. Okay, then I want it. Then I want it. Well, I want a ten for the chairman that uh, that tells me what that is. Again, just because they've got it doesn't mean that we have to be able to see it. I, I mean, uh-huh. I can understand your concerns from a backup point of view, certainly, but. I think that for a company to not have a clearly defined goal like that, especially when you're, okay, it's software, but you're effectively in manufacturing, you know, you've got to make a thing. I think that if they didn't have that, then they would be completely stupid and misguided, and that's just a, a terrible thing to have. Yeah, I have to go with Lennon on this. Knowing knowing the the technology world that I do, I... I, I it's like putting a network or 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 a server farm together or what it, we still have goals and we still have documentation on on what we're going to accomplish and what okay. makes it what makes it a a uh, okay. uh going going from sure. concept and design to production so for the purpose of this discussion let's assume that you guys are correct let, let's let's just let's just make that assumption that you guys are currently I like this, Tony. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> maybe you won't call me an ignorant slut every week if I go like this. But let's assume for the purposes of the discussion that you guys are right. Then why is Chris Roberts saying sentences like, we will have what we determine is a minimum viable product feature list? That's not a we will release or we will disclose or we will publicize. It's we will have what we determine. Well, that that could be that could be considered trade secret. It could be I I don't know. Then say then then why doesn't he use again? This is my point. Why doesn't he use different words? And I know it's Chris Roberts. He just like runs his mouth and he just talks. (laughs) He's full of ideas. I think you've hit the nail there. It's Chris Roberts. I get it. But this is but again. So this is what the other. Then let's assume you guys are right. Then here's my other mad part. And everybody's heard this rant before. Hey, Lennon. Yes. Can you get the soapbox out real quick? Okay. Here we go. Oh, good. Okay, okay, good, good. Here we go. This thing on? Okay, all right, good. Okay, stop shooting yourselves in the foot. Stop saying things that are wrong. Okay, I'm done. Oh, <laughs> oh my okay. God. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I really like this new Tony. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Where have you been? You're hired. <laughs> it's a new me. Use the words that you mean to say. If you mean to say we will publicize or we will release or we will disclose our feature list at a future time, say that. If you say, well, we will determine the feature list, that means you haven't determined it yet. And that's bad for the very reasons that Lennon and Jeff just discussed. That's very bad. Or it's just not finalized. Because it could be that they, you know, they know they've got Okay, say finalized then. Okay, all right. Say finalized. I'll I'll take your point. I I guess what I'm trying to do is also, you know, looking on the positive side, like you said, some things have been superseded, like 40 planets is now 100 planets. Right. It could be that their minimum viable product has all the stretch goals, but some of them they've gone above and beyond on. And so, therefore, it's not, you know, they they can't fully determine it because they know that actually they've, I don't know, if they promised everybody gets a banana, hey, we're getting a whole bunch, not just a single. That is the worst analogy I've ever come up with on this show. Right there. But it's so cheerful and nice. <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying, though. You're and you're kind of right because I I get it when they say uh, we're going to give you a class one repair bot. But actually, what you're going to get is not only a repair bot but a fembot too. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for Jeff's hot tub for his sex that's tub. right. On his, yeah, on his, on his constellation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay, well. It's, 
quickly taking the reins of the show and just moving away from the Jeff very slowly, that will bring us <laughs> to this week's community question. What is a minimum viable product for Star Citizen? Is it just a case of being able to save my loadout and a paint job? Every single stretch goal needs to be in there, or is it something actually in between? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. And now that we're all cut up with the latest news, let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he forgot to make up a joke for this bit, and that we can't think of anything off the top of our heads without him. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. And he thinks he got it all this week, but uh, if he forgot any, he's really sorry. Community question last week. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you not care? We want to hear what you think about crafting. Adon kicks us off with great show everyone, especially the new announcer voice. Crafting in games can run such a range of fun to level to just plain boring. In a game like Final Fantasy XIV, there's some skill involved in the crafting of items, whereas a game like WoW is just one click to create. I can enjoy both of the systems for what they are, and typically I'm not much of a crafter in most games, so they're really not systems for me in general. I don't mind them making endgame gear, assuming there is some sort of skill or risk involved. If the recipe to make the endgame gear item drops off of a boss you have to solo kill, an item to make it is a rare drop, or there is a skill to the crafting system minigame itself that is required to make the item, then I'm all for it. To touch on the PvP topic from last week, I can agree with most of what you guys are saying. If I'm in PvP, I want to be in PvP with someone else who wants to be there. I'm hoping this slider system in Star Citizen will allow those people who wish to avoid conflict with other players to do so. We clearly have different experiences we want to get out of the game, and games should do their best to cater to both types of players. Keep up the great work, you guys are the highlight of my Tuesdays. Sean Newboy says, wonderful show everybody. It depends on how they do crafting, most games just muck it up royally. Amontillado says, Crafting can mean a lot of different things in gaming. In general, I am for it. For some, crafting implies a player or a character ability to create an inventory items can be used in other gameplays and sometimes sold to other players. This is all well and good, or can be, but there are some other sorts of crafting that speak more to the heart of its appeal for me. When I'm playing a persistent game, I'm much more interested if I've been able to contribute some of my creativity into it. Even more so, I'm able to share that creativity through something that I have built. Crafting, coupled with the ability to customize, can contribute to this. Sayo says, I enjoyed your show very much. It is a very good show. I like it. Love Sayo's AI. He then goes on to say, crafting should have an element of skill and creativity to it. At least the player should have to do a little reading or gain knowledge on how to craft a specific item. It should not be a click and create scenario if the item is of value. If it's just refining materials to ultimately create a valuable item, then okay, make it simple. Crafting shouldn't provide the rarest items either, unless you acquired, through gameplay and skill, the raw materials to craft the rare items. In other words, it should not be a monotonous grind or a click and wait vest. Creativity with crafting can be a great addition to a game. Okay, next week, Jeff and Lennon debate. The ignorant slut needs a week off. Mike Foley says, love it, of course. That's crafting. Crow writes in and says, I don't think you can have a strong, deep crafting system without robust economy. Depth implies complexity, requiring a variety of materials at each stage and multiple stages to build up more complicated items. 
It makes much more sense for the crafter to be able to buy raw materials from the marketplace, craft components and finished goods, and then sell those. The other big advantage to that sort of setup is that it provides an opportunity for scavenging for raw materials from dangerous places. The crafter isn't required to go find that sort of stuff personally. It can be done by the same person who ends up buying the finished goods later. The economy, marketplace, and crafting go hand in hand, and has worked really well for many games including Fallen Earth, EVE, SWG, etc. There's absolutely no reason it won't work in Star Citizen, I hope this is the direction that they choose to go. Resource gathering, or scavenging and mining, are in, it sounds like the economy is going to be there, but we haven't really seen much involvement that we're going to get with crafting. Brett Chesson writes in and says, From the self-proclaimed Guard Frequency fanboy, I can see how this can bring out some interesting gameplay for people that are looking for rare crafting materials. I can see this aspect benefiting explorers, traders, space truckers, and miners. I just hope they don't make it too complicated. P.S. Thanks for the patch. So, yeah, most people, I guess, like crafting, but they do want it to be a game, not just Right, and I like Amontillado's comment about that, where... You know, you can get really into the whole system where, you know, what you provide has value for the game itself and you contribute to the overall game or event or whatever. And I don't necessarily like the events. Well, you got to provide a million base ore for for this next, you know, next level thing. I'm talking about building items that get sold to market that help boost the economy and and help this struggling system to get off its feet and, and into the galactic universe, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things that I really liked about uh, what Lord of the Rings Online did with their crafting was when you created high-level items, you had basically the option to uh, name the item and to sign it. And what I mean by that is that if you made a sword and oh. it was a good sword, you know, much... Your Hattori Hanso sword. Yep. Yeah, kind of, basically. Yes. But, you know, given the Lord of the Rings mythos, you wouldn't just have a sword. You'd call it Sting or Biter or whatever you wanted to call the sword. And it would then also have your name underneath it as the person who crafted it. So it would be like, oh, here's a 15th level sword. We're going to call this Andril. And it would say, by Kinetic Impulsor whenever anybody hovered over the item if you were inspecting someone else. I think if you were able to add something like that, that just helps the level of immersion in the game as well because it is literally something you've created that is out there being used and everybody can actually see that. I think Elite Dangerous is going in a good direction with the engineers, but it would be fun eventually if you could have player engineers that could make stuff that eventually, like Lennon was saying, you you, you would go seek out this player if you wanted this particular type of mod. Well, before we move on to general feedback, we'd like to bring you a little section we've entitled The Land That Shiv Forgot. Uh, Basically, we found a load of feedback that had fallen down the back of the couch, so we fired Shiv and then instantly rehired him, and we made sure that all that feedback got a proper airing. So, two quick pieces this week. On Flight Paths, Ken from Chicago says, Sorry, Guard Freak, but Star Citizen can split capital ships, helm and navigation, yet still make helm control fun. How? A Flight Path GUI. All Robert Space Industries has to do is project the flight path of your capital ship on a HUD, then show angled turns in front of you. For example, you want the ship to climb, pull back on the joystick. Your projected flight path angles up in front of you. Because the capital ship has a delay in responding, so changes in the flight path are shown projected in front of you. And he provides an illustration on how a capital ship's projected flight path could look in-game. The links will be in the show notes. So, yeah, this was from a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about steering capital ships and, and dividing and conquering the workload. This is an interesting idea. 
but it would still, it's going to require a lot of engineering and interface work and that kind of stuff. And I don't see CIG doing that in the near future, especially when, with that answer from Chris, just said, yeah, joystick and throttle. It can be done. I just don't see CIG doing it at this stage. On PvP, Krell writes in and says, there is a huge difference between a war and a group of griefing asshats. Both are forms of PvP, but so different from each other, the only things they share are the name and the fact that there's more than one actual player involved. One is great for the game, adding a ton of dynamic player-driven content. The other, if left unchecked, will drive players away. If Star Citizen is able to have large-scale player-driven conflict that has actual consequences anywhere near what happens in EVE, it will be a tremendous accomplishment. The only games aside from me that I'm aware of that have some sort of impact are Shadowbane and... Uh, I know that game, but I just can't remember the name of it. Uh, Dark Age of Camelot. Yeah, Dark Age of Camelot. Thank you. Perhaps SWG to some extent. Griefer asshats, on the other hand, need to be dealt with harshly. One warning, then banned account. They're not in it for the game. They're in it for the meta and their fun comes directly at the expense of other players. Not in an in-game sense, but in an attempt to ruin the game experience. In-game tools to try to deal with sort of asshattery, such as labeling as a pirate, etc., are almost always ineffective at best, and act as a twisted badge of honor. Note that this doesn't apply to someone playing a pirating game. They're very different and has far more in common with a war-based PvP. Okay, but now we got to get serious. We had a, a, a we got a we got a letter, Uh-oh. gentlemen. We got a letter. Yeah, we got a letter <clears throat> from Commander oh, Lorian. Oh no! It begins. Gentlemen, that's always a bad sign. Gentlemen, I am an avid Elite Dangerous player and play over 90% of the time in Mobius PvE group. I am also quite active on the Mobius PvE forums. After hearing your discussion episode 115, I had to write in. I take umbrage with a particular point. I am a member of a small group of players, fewer than 10, that are known in the Mobius group as the A-Team. We are a group that enjoys goofing around, doing things in the game for fun, but within Mobius rules with the main reasons for the group's existence being to have fun. We have been described as 12-year-olds tearing about the woods on dirt bikes. We are not politically correct, and we say what's on our mind in TeamSpeak in a channel that is password protected to protect people from colorful language that we use, particularly when we cock things up badly, which usually results in one of us exploding. This to the heart of the problem. The A-Team is a sanitized name of our little group, which is actually called the Asshat Team or asshats for short. We take umbrage with your smear of our name and using it to describe the events that occurred by the Smiling Dog crew. We are in no way affiliated in what occurred with the people involved beyond the fact that we play in Mobius. Our good name has been tarnished by your label of asshats being used as such. To make amends, we request that on follow-up discussions about this topic that you mention that the asshats you refer to are in no way affiliated with the Asshat team. We also think that 10 seconds to allow the full censored description was not enough and that to fully describe the persons involved, we suggest that you play the first track from Yes's Tales from Topographical Oceans, which if memory serves is 20 minutes, 25 seconds long. We also extend a warm welcome to you and anyone else that wants to have some adult conversation and fun. You can find us in-game or by contacting our wing page at, we'll put the link in the show notes, or on the Mobius TeamSpeak server in the A-Team channel. Thank you for your consideration. Sincerely, Commander Loriath, the A-Team. What a bunch of asshats. Really? Uh, what yeah. a bunch of assets. And, and I, and I, and, and 
<laughs> I, I'm I'm happy okay. that they want to take on this term and kind of change its connotation. Right. But but please know that asshat in the gaming world is not a good term. I I, I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, try. Right. I mean, what are we going to call these? Asshats, if we can't call them asshats. <laughs> Which asshats, though? I know. This is just going to cause confusion. This, this may be one time when the sanitized version might ought to become the actual version. Like, as a, as a counterexample, we should stop referring to our guys as the STD team and really just consistently refer to them as strategic thinking and development. I mean, we really ought to do that. You know, the, it, you know, the, the full version is more politically correct one. <laughs> yeah, we offer that but advice. But they're not politically correct. And I do actually like <laughs> their sort of premise and concept, you know, 12-year-olds tearing around the woods on dirt bikes. I love it. So yeah. I, yeah. I think we are going to have to come up with <laughs> another term, you know, in, instead of like asshats, maybe call them, I don't know, uh, butt trilbies or something. Um, there's got to be <laughs> something... <laughs> Rump fedoras. Yeah, rump fedoras. We there you get, go. We, yeah. we can get a we can get a hipster angle yeah. on that. But uh, turning to general feedback here, we hear from Mister Eight X. Hey guys, great show as usual. I'm using my first comment here to say that I think the Tony being an ignorant slut thing, this is played out. Maybe it's just me, but it's not really funny anymore. Oh, and how lucky is he? He seems to win all the <laughs> coin tosses. Winky yeah, face. I'm yeah. gonna have to investigate. So, that. I think there's been some match fixing yeah. going on, Tony. Yeah. So it was noticed, but now we're getting letters. Yeah. Now we're getting complaints. Hence why we mixed it up a little bit uh, in this week's segment. So we're going to still do the ignorant slut thing as a homage, which is French for blatant ripoff, of the old Saturday Night Live sketch with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. So, but we'll, we'll change up who the ignorant yeah. slut next is. Next time, Jeff, yeah. next week, me and you. It's <laughs> <on>. <laughs> okay. And Ken from Chicago writes in to say, Bruise, cut, puncture, poison, stun, burn, maim, broken bones, bleeding, pain. Field medics deal with these in-game. Medikits focus on treating minor wounds and conditions, stabilizing more serious ones for a field medic or a robot doc. Med bays could be sections in ships, major surgery and or long-term treatment until you get to medical ships or hospitals. Star Citizen could gamify healing to have some skill. Diagnosis for the right treatment, not just click, heal and wait. No new Patreon subscribers this week. And the winners of our brand new patch is... Draker. And this week's community question. What does minimum viable product mean for Star Citizen? Maybe just save my loadout and paint job? Is it every stretch goal? Maybe something in between. Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show this week? Was it minimally viable or are we going to need to go consult our stretch goal chart? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you could hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can always shoot us an email to Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do every week. That brings us to the end of episode 117 of Guard Frequency, and we'll be back with episode 118 on May 3rd, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. And on Friday, May the 6th, we're going to have a special call-in show. Pimp it. Pimp it, mother****. 
Look out for announcements on Facebook and Twitter and other things, blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for reading it verbatim. You're welcome. Mm. I'm a professional. Mm. Well, do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space in podcast ever? If so, drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And right now our audio team is expanding, so if you think you know a high-quality show when you hear it, we would love to hear from you. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into a weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to take this moment to thank all of the Patreons who support us week on week with their subscriptions. I hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website, look under the call signs sections for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artist Ben Saunders and Simon Charlton Edwards. Our staff writers, Jace Pintad and Ken Shadow. Our producer, Jeff Grant. And of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens? Dang it. How many times have we done this? Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But now let's... I almost said now let's check out some CIG news. Stupid Google Docs. Before we continue, this will probably go into the blooper reel, but behemoths? Is that a pretty... Behemoth. Behemoth. Yeah. Fine. Behemoth? No. I'll do it again. Okay. Or experience to dive in with one of the multi... Sorry, how do you pronounce it? Behemoth. Behemoth, okay. Or experience to dive in with one of the multi-crew behemoths. That sounded like a question. Descent Underground, the game of London public transit. There's a lot of... (laughs) Who put that in there? Somebody British, I assume. No. No, genuinely. The single-player prelude... The single prayer. The <laughs> single player prologue. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, so the peas of peas. Yeah. Crafting in games can run. Ah. Crafting in games can run such a range of fun to level to just. Oh, I see. Right now that I've read it, the sentence makes sense. There we go. I'm going to try this one more time. But there are other sorts of crafting. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Got a tickle in my throat. But there are some. Other sorts of... <coughs> Boy, pardon me. We're going to need a new jazz. Oh, a cough in his throat. Med base could be sections in ships major surgery and or long-term treatment. Sorry. Ken from Chicago usually writes in on yeah. Twitter, and so grammar and spelling... Become a little bit lost kind of in translation. Yeah.
Oh, I, I think there's a comma there. Med, med bays could be sections and ships. Major surgery right. and or long-term treatment until you Jeff, get back. Hmm? Jeff has just corrected a sentence and made it more readable. And now I don't know which way is up anymore. This is just <laughs> not what I'm used to. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. Star Citizen could gamify heading out to... Healing. Healing. <sighs> Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> and now Jeff is correcting Lennon on words with his broadcast glasses, and now I'm confused. <laughs> Thanks to our community master... <laughs> master. Community master. master. Up in the double entendres there.